Hey, everybody. Thanks for listening to Shop Talk Show. We have two wonderful sponsors to tell you at the top of the show. One of them, our longtime sponsor, Environments for Humans, promoting their CSS Summit. The URL there is cssummit.com. Big three-day conference coming up. It's going to be fantastic. It's online, virtual conference. Attend it from anywhere in the world. Coming up July 7th through 9th, uh, use coupon code Shop Talk Show for 20% off any of those days or all of them or whatever you want to buy. And Harvest, uh, uh, which is getharvest.com time tracking tool comes with Mac apps and web apps and works on any browser, iPhone apps, Android apps. It's for tracking time uh, and turning that into information for your team or invoices or all kinds of useful stuff. We'll tell you more about both those things later in the show, but for now, let's kick things out. Shopamaniacs, you're listening to another episode of the Shop Talk Show podcast, all about uh, a, a type. And uh, <laughs> today it will we'll be getting into type. I'm Dave Rupert. With me is Chris Coyer. Yeah, that's right. And we have as a special guest, Mr. Tim Brown. Thanks for being on the show, Tim. Thank you so much for having me, guys. Yay! If you didn't, if you weren't aware of that, Tim, there's going to be sounds. Occasionally very loud ones like trumpets that will accommodate the things that you say. Tim, you are uh, – Dave mentioned type because, because type is a big – it's a big thing for you. In fact, one of your, one of your Twitter handles is uh, uh, potentially easier to find than Tim Brown. That, I, I assume that was part of the, the impetus of that, right, is that there's a, there's a couple other Tim Browns in the world, but there's a only one. Yeah. Only one nice web type. That's right. Uh, type is a, an interest of mine. It's been a professional interest for a long time. Uh, I have to tell What's you the guys, story there. Then, Do you, were you like identifying typefaces as a boy and stuff? Or you can say oh, what no, you're going to say no, first. No, no, no. Word got me. Actually, Microsoft Word made me a graphic designer because I was so frustrated not being able to be nerdy with the interface that I I thought there must be a better way, and I stumbled into the graphic design program at my school, but. I want to tell tell you guys that I've I'm a huge fan of the Shop Talk Show. I've listened to every episode. Uh, I, wow. I know. I mean, you, you gave me the rundown before the show, but I know exactly how the show goes. You know the sound <laughs> effects and the little blurb at the end. I know it all. Okay. Uh, this is like my favorite Excellent. podcast. Yeah, yeah. yeah. Uh, so anyway, thank you guys for doing this show. I I have to say, like the kinds of things you talk about here. Um, really matter to me because I've relied on developers for help doing what I do for years and years. I mean, it's the reason I can focus on things like typography because I have friends who get super nerdy about all this development stuff. And I hope I can be a good guest on your show today because I know a little bit about fonts and stuff, but yeah, well, well, you're in luck because we've, we've dug into some, we found some, some questions for you all about that stuff. Cool. Mm-hmm. Uh, but 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 back, I like the I like the the little intro of like <laughs> word pushing you into type because there must be a better way. So but so and then that was like in college esque or that that period and yeah. you, that you literally went to to college for graphic design as did I. Yeah, I, well, I went to college as an art major, and uh, I found the graphic design program because I was I was sort of doing art in English, and. Um, and then I found the graphic design program, took typography 101, was really into it. And my professor hooked me up with a job at the publications office on campus. And I was working on, you know, print stuff, working with the guys down in the print shop on specific things, you know, the ink and temperatures and all that stuff. And I found Jeffrey Zeldman's book on the shelf, the first one, designing, uh, Taking Your Talent to the Web. Oh, I don't mm. even know about that one. Exactly. It was for print people. And taught them about web stuff. So I started to learn about, you know, table-based design, just as web standards were getting adopted everywhere. And um, it it was really cool to see that transition happen and and be a part of the web early on like that. Yeah, nice. It's nice that you were able to to, to suss it out. You know, I probably, I don't know, we're probably of somewhat similar age and... 
I was also in college at that time, but just was kind of going with the flow a little bit more. So just kind of went with the weird things we were learning. We weren't exactly cutting edge. In fact, we didn't even look at CSS back back when I was getting a BA. It's 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 tempting to say like I got a degree in graphic design, but I'm not sure that it, at least from like state schools, it's not really a thing, right? You just kind of get a bachelor of arts and you did a you do a bunch of stuff and then you have a show and maybe it focused on one kind of technology or another or one kind well, of art so- or a different kind, yeah. Yeah, I mean, where I went to school is a place called SUNY New Paltz, and um, they have a a great graphic design program that is heavy on typography. And when I was in school, they didn't teach HTML and CSS. I learned that stuff on my own. But they were teaching Flash, and a lot of the programming knowledge that I have today is based on the logic I learned in those classes. So I feel like they set me up pretty well, and yeah, I'm a graphic design major. Yeah, oh, nice, cool. Uh, yeah. So like when I got a BA, it was just like, I took a bunch of design classes and then sometimes like, you know, when it's convenient, I'm like, uh, yeah, I, I, I guess I got my degree in graphic design. I got a BA and I took <laughs> a bunch of design classes, but I also took more ceramics classes. So it's, it's easier for me to explain it as like, I was kind of majored in ceramics, just like Dave majored in anime, you know? It's like, <laughs> yeah. Yeah. If you guys, a, yeah. If you guys want to talk about, uh, I don't know, 18th century, <laughs> <laughs> Japanese scrolls. I got gotcha. you. Yeah. <laughs> nice. Uh, which is a nice little segue into type. I mean, presumably there's type on there. We have some questions coming up kind of about, oh, that loosely talk about that kind of thing. But let's talk about Tim some more. You are also um, probably your career has probably taken some twists and turns and stuff, but are currently at Typekit. Was that, is that your first like super type related job or what's this, what's the kind of chronology there? Yeah. Um, so, well, like I said a few minutes ago, I've been relying on developers for help forever. And before Typekit, I worked as a web designer at Vassar College. And that's how I know Ray Schwartz, the guy who just wrote for CSS Tricks uh, that my friend Ray, he is a more, um, not a, I guess he's like a front-end developer, but he's, he's super thorough and stuff. And so I worked at Vassar as a web designer. Um, and then, you know, I started a blog for uh, typography-related stuff because that was my area of interest. And and Jeff Veen called me on the phone and was like, what? yeah, right? I was like, oh, closed the door to my office. Oh, my hands were shaking. <laughs> and he, he asked if I wanted to, you know, uh, be a part of Typekit. And it was, uh, it's been crazy ever since then. Um yeah, you're like, let me think about it. No, at the time it was kind of a hard. <laughs> Jeff Veen's on the line. It was kind of Hold a hard on, decision Jeff. at the time. Like, I love Vassar. I was having a good time there. I was really exercising my design skills, and I had a lot of respect for my colleagues there. And mm-hmm. remote work was really interesting to me. Typekit be able to focus entirely on typography was really interesting, um, and it's been just amazing since then it was a tough decision but i'm really glad that i made it and uh and yeah even the job at typekit has changed over the years because when i started with them i was doing a lot of customer support stuff and a lot Mm -hmm. of foundry relations stuff which was really cool because i could talk to both groups of people right type designers know all about fonts and Mm -hmm. the folks using fonts making websites knew all about the issues that they were having with rendering and spacing and and I kind of knew how to help both parties because I was hearing both sides of that, what was going on. So I could figure out how to map font math to CSS math, for instance, and think about the layers of technology that go into type rendering on screens. So it, that really worked out well for me. Nowadays, um, I, you know, we have a dedicated customer support team. They're awesome. We have a dedicated foundry relationship team who... I mean, I don't want to nerd out about the type industry, so I won't. But suffice it to say, these are awesome people. They're making decisions financially for the type industry that are really good. Uh, and you hear a lot nice. of horror stories. Did you get some of that stuff because of Adobe? You were kind of pre-Adobe or, or, it, or, or I, not? The, the Adobe acquisition, yeah, I was pre-Adobe. And the Adobe acquisition has been amazing because they had a group of type designers at Adobe. Adobe has employed mm-hmm. type designers for 30 years. And they're the kind of people who not only make fonts, but they make the software that other type designers use to make fonts. And they work with the standards organizations to define what type is. 
So they're this super knowledgeable group of people, and it was just an inflow of, uh, you know, type knowledge to sort of beef up our engineering knowledge. And it's just really, really, uh, it's been great. Yeah, I can imagine. That's pretty. That's pretty spectacular. I, you know, I I remember when it happened. I feel like the like the thing that everybody wanted right away is like, oh my god, I can use all my type fonts on the, the desktop now. You know, like yeah. it took a hot minute. I took a hot minute to get there, but now I have a little a little icon in my menu bar, and there's a little assets tab in there, and I can add fonts from TypeKit, and the dream is real. Yeah, you know, it's funny when I started at TypeKit. Um, something I realized. It's funny to say this, but the internet is just people making stuff. That's all it is. And like, yeah, like there's this dream of having some feature that feels magical. People had to make that thing and make every little decision behind that thing. And like, yeah, we'll get there as a community, as a group of people, as people working on stuff. But it takes a lot of effort and, you know, it makes you really appreciate all of the different web apps we use to think about what went into them. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah, I know. I know all too well that what seems like a little a little feature kind of thing is uh uh you know, not it's hard to 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 kind of guess how difficult said feature is going to be from a development perspective and getting that feature right is a bigger deal than it seems and what that implications that feature has on the future of your product and what it feels like to use it is a big deal and stuff. Yeah. Nothing is easy, let alone big giant things uh like the one I just mentioned, which is, you know, it's been around a while. Now I'm sure there's more interesting things happening than that, but that was just kind of a big one for me. So, so at, at TypeGit, you work on, um, uh, you know, I'm sure it's varied over the years, as you said. But yeah. one of the things that I'm well aware of is the practice.typekit.com, which of course we'll link to in the show notes. But it's kind of a uh, to teach to teach people like me about uh, about about type, right? It's yeah. I have uh, really lofty goals for it. Um, I want to teach everybody about type. My primary concerns are that people feel comfortable and confident using type and that they understand the value of type, not just in terms of money, but in terms of what type is. Like when you have a typeface that's a, you know, great, it's really capable and full of features. And I just want to make sure that people get the most out of that. And so that in my work at TypeKit, that comes out in a variety of ways. I write for TypeKit practice and make examples for that site to show you how to do the things that I'm talking about in the writing. Uh, I write our help docs. I just wrote two extensive help docs on using open type features in CSS. Uh, I advise on the design of typekit.com UI. I work with our integration partners so that the typographic UI in any tool that uses typekit fonts is the best it can be. So it's really like I'm having a blast working on all this stuff. And, um, and yeah, but I didn't always do that. It sort of grew. I sort of grew into where I'm at now. Yeah, nice. As as I hope we all do. Kind of. It's nice to have a job that supports your your growth in a sense like that. Yeah. Oh, Dave, do you have any? Uh, do you have any errata for us here? No, I I if if you haven't checked it out, I I feel like we've mentioned it on the show before. But this practice.typekit is amazing, Tim, and and the work you do here is is great because it's just like uh, even a dummy like me <laughs> who's like, yeah, you know what, system font's good enough. Um, this like is a, a very compelling case for for using a a typeface that has you know, soul and character and, and purpose, you know, as opposed to just kind of, uh, pardon the term, but crapping out a, a website. <laughs> this is like, hey, you actually made an intentional choice. And I think that's really interesting because I, I don't know. I, I'm like, you know, on the like performance side of things, it's like it's tempting to be like, oh, we shouldn't use web fonts, you know, but it's just like, man, but they give you like so much of this, this, character for the website and and that's i don't know i I think it's it's this practice.typekit really kind of i don't know i heard that i'm sorry i'm rambling but i heard this really neat uh like term just like the engineer just wants it faster so they like rip out the typeface you know but they've like ripped out the soul of the website you know Hmm. it's just it's just 
interesting to me. We could I, dive I, into that a little bit before we get into some Q&A, because I think it's kind of a, a little bit of a hot topic right now, and why are we a podcast at all if we stay away from that? In fact, I'm, I'm drinking out of my hot drama mug right now, so... Um, <laughs> I think this people saw this coming a long time ago. I'm wearing my hot drama Lulu. I'm wearing my hot drama Lulu Lemon uh, pants. Well, this is you're dressed for the occasion. Then good. Uh, I don't know that this is controversial. I'm sure we'll all largely agree on things. Boring, but maybe not. Maybe not. Uh, There was a time I'm sure we'll all remember not too many years ago where we were mostly just really excited about web typography. Period. We are we are amazed when it started to work at all, and then we were amazed when services started making it easier, and then we were amazed by more specific features that typography can bring to us. And Everything has just been like up and up and up for typography. And of course, as any, you know, as things do, it's a bit of a roller coaster. And perhaps the, you know, what's in the air these days with typography, at least from, you know, the niche, you know, the front end developer thing is performance is, is, is a huge hot topic right now. And you can't help but the fact that any custom web font is, has, has a fairly, sizable. I mean, it varies, of course, but from font to font, but font is an asset that needs to be shipped across the internet to make your site work. So there's a weight cost, uh, there's a delivery cost, and then there's like, what does my page look like? Well, this thing is coming down costs and decisions that have to be happening. No matter how you slice it, using custom fonts is is some kind of hit on the, the loading of your site. You know, like as, even as good as you can do, it's never as good is doing nothing at all. Now, like Dave was kind of saying, if, when you, if you don't deal with typography at all, you're you're crapping out a website. We're we're at this point where like we we absolutely have to use custom type because websites look really weird today that don't and like wrong and bad and not as good as they could do with type. And we're aware that it's it's it can have an impact on our performance. So like, man, is that balance hard to strike these days? That's mm. just setting the stage. Maybe I'll pass it over to Tim with your thoughts on that. Yeah. Well, so I, I've, I'm giving a talk recently specifically about body text because I think that's the hardest thing to compromise on. Um, of course, this depends on your brand guidelines. If you're stuck with brand fonts, performance is a slightly different problem. Um, but just to give you the little uh, thing that I talk about in my my talk, um, body text is really valuable. It's the majority of text that you want people to read. And so it sets the tone for your whole website, like everything, all of the little, you know, most of the text people read. And it's the kind of thing that people don't notice off the top of their heads. Uh, I give an analogy in the talk of, of somebody being in a cafe, right? The way furniture is arranged in that cafe uh, might give people a really good feeling, but they're not going to notice it as <laughs> somebody having arranged the furniture that way, right? Stuff like that. So you really want body text because it's important for the experience. But uh, performance concerns are, like you said, Chris, transfer of assets and the perception of speed. And those are slightly different problems. So I think that body text typefaces are worth their weight, I think they're worth your performance budget uh, because fonts, uh, you know, you, you can so you can manage this, and we'll talk a little bit about this too, I'm sure. But it might you, be even more important than where the couch is positioned in the. It's like how the coffee tastes. It's yeah, like a, it's a big deal. Um, but but so like the file size for those fonts is something that you should pay attention to, but also spend some of your performance budget on. Now the the loading of fonts, the perception of that speed is a slightly different issue. I think that whereas people have sometimes myself included designed websites so that no text would be shown until the intended font was ready. That's not a good practice. You want that flash of unstyled text. I mean, which of course is hilarious right? because we spent years fighting fighting the fout because we yeah. uh, we kind of it was just decided that uh, it was such a janky experience to see one one typeface and then have it switch to another one. Not to mention layout shifts and stuff that can come from that. We're like, man, that is so gross. Let's put a bunch of you know, not only development effort behind it, but kind of convince browsers to change their ways on this, only to to have kind of regretted that decision. Right? Mm-hmm. 
That's right. <laughs> and it's not like, I mean, one of the things I said was sort of to get designers' attention uh, was that you want the fout. Now, you don't necessarily want that shift in the experience, but what you have to understand is that web fonts are an asset that gets loaded, as you said, Chris. And so that's the transition from fallback fonts, which are immediately present for your readers, and the typefaces that you intend, that you're loading. That transition is something you should design as a designer. And so, you know, pay attention to your fallback fonts. Pay attention to how they're typeset so that when the intended fonts get there, there isn't so much of a shift. That's part of typography now. I think that the web is changing typography, what we've always understood typography to be, because of things like this. Right. And that, and that could be like analogous to, historically, what paper are you printing it on? Exactly. What size? Is it a billboard or is it a, a newspaper or a book? You know, um, you just kind of have to, that's, the material is is a part of your typographic process now, right? That's right. Is that, so. Cost of paper, the type of ink you're using, the temperature in the press room that changes how things bleed, the alignment of different colors as you run paper through presses multiple times. That's the technical stuff that print folks had to deal with. And on the web, we have things like this, just a part of typography now. Kilobytes and bandwidth and, and all that. Sequence and, yep everything well that that's cool and just to wrap up the fout thing it was kind of like we're not saying that what's excellent it's not like every page load on every site you you you're just you can't wait to see text morph <laughs> into some other text of course that's still not a bad experience but what that symbolizes is the fact that the text was there and readable sooner than later it wasn't white blank nothing space and and because it's an asset that's delivered and cached you're not going to see fout on the next load and you know it's 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 just a symptom of kind of a a better experience in a sense Ah, oh, great, wonderful stuff. And there's you can level up from there, uh, right? There's all kinds of different ways you can you can deal with font loading. I'm sure Tim is, knows more about it. We we could probably actually. I have a tip for you guys. I, I said on Twitter that I was going to share it, so now seems like a good time. Uh, recently, we released support for East Asian web fonts at Typekit which is a big deal because those font files are humongous. So you can't just put them out there like normal web fonts. We had to invent dynamic subsetting. And so what that means is that our JavaScript looks at your page and sees what characters it's using and gives you a subset only for what you need. And the second piece of that equation is dynamic augmentation, so that if you add text to the page through a comment form or something like that, the additional characters uh, show up. It doesn't. Quickly. It doesn't like invalidate the entire old font and send you a new font that exactly. includes what you had before, plus the new ones. It just kind of adds them into the. Uh, it's fancy. Yeah, but right now it only works on Typekit for East Asian fonts. So here's my my secret tip for you guys: if you make mm-hmm. a kit on Typekit, <laughs> yes. Uh, if you, so, if you make make a kit on Typekit with a uh, Latin font, like Brandon Grotesque or something, and you look over in the subsetting or language support options, you won't see dynamic subsetting. But if you add an East Asian font to that kit, you'll be asked to convert it to a dynamic kit. And once you do that, you can remove the East Asian font, and you'll still have dynamic subsetting for the Latin stuff. I mean, we're going to make dynamic subsetting and augmentation available for all fonts on Typekit eventually. But for now, mm-hmm. if you want to just experiment with it and stuff, that's a way to sort of get around our current limitation. Nice. That's pretty neat. So, like, let's say you are, you know, uh, uh, let's see, can I morph this into a sponsor thing? That would be, <laughs> that'd be, that'd be pretty good. Let's say you're, you know, your CSS Summit, you're building a site for it, and and you just for whatever reason, you only want the word CSS Summit in, in nice web type. I mean, maybe that's a, like, maybe this isn't the best example in the world, but let's say that's the situation you're in. You could use a font that's only available on Typekit, uh, set the type in that, and it would it, the JavaScript would would quick parse through your page, see that you only need the characters C S U M I N T, and serve a very minimal sized version of that font that only included those characters. That's what we're talking about, right? Yep, that's the idea. 
D-Rad. Okay, so uh, let's see. How far are we along in here? We should definitely do do that. So the CSS Summit is one of the, uh, uh, literally one of our sponsors. The URL CSSSummit.com will redirect you to the Environments for Humans page that uh, 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 you've probably seen before if you're any listener of this show. Now you can attend one of the best CSS and SAS events no matter where you are in the world. And I should add to that SVG too. The first day has... Uh, a whole bunch of SVG talks they put on the first day, which I, is awesome for me because I love me some SVG. Uh, CSS Summit brings the experts to your desktop. The CSS Summit is the online conference to improve your workflow while inspiring your work. So it's practical stuff and kind of uh, inspirational stuff. Good mixture. It's a virtual co- uh, uh, conference. It's July 7th through 9th. It's a three-day thing. You can get the ticket. That's your best value for all three days. Or you can buy individual days if there's particular talks or tracks that are more interested, interesting to you. You know, there's like they put like a lot of the SaaS stuff on one day and a lot of the future stuff in one day. So you can kind of, t- if you have to tailor and you're more interested in one of those subjects, you can do that. The speakers are from the SaaS team. There's people there from Adobe and Google and IBM and Sparkbox and all all kinds of stuff. So it's a it's a three day thing. There's a bunch of talks about Angular, which is pretty interesting how that relates to to CSS. That is just a glowing hot topic, uh, particularly with uh, React and stuff too. I wouldn't doubt that that shows up because of this kind of like should we be should we be doing CSS and JavaScript these days? I'm personally working on a post about it because I just have a zillion thoughts about it that I need to organize. So I'm working on that today. Even anyway. Big conference, CSSSummit.com. Use coupon code Shop Talk Show for 20% off anything that you buy. Thanks for your sponsorship, Environments for Humans. Let's do a let's get into some questions. Let's see. All right, let's head into the meat and potatoes of the Shop Talk Show questions and answers. Uh, first question comes from Piotr Tambala, writes in I like the Georgia font a lot and have used it for a lot of my designs. Recently, I moved to Linux and then realized that this font is not shipped by default on Linux. (gasps) That's actually really shocking to me. Uh, What should I do? I tried to find the web font version of Georgia, but didn't. Uh, Maybe I should try to find a web font which looks just as good. Thoughts? Tim, Tim, what do you do? That's funny. Isn't Helvetica one of those two where like uh, it's not on Windows, but... But Arial isn't it so close that people just don't care. You just ship it. But George is like unique enough that it's kind of a bummer. It was it's like too weird to substitute or or would you just let it fall back to something else? I'm sure Tim has a thought. Yeah, well I don't know what I would let it fall back to on Linux. There used to be this site, uh codestyle.org that had surveys of which fonts were available on which sites, but it, uh, that site's not live anymore. Um, Georgia Pro is available as a web font through a service called WebType. Um, so that's one option uh, that would make sure that no matter which yeah. operating system. Because then uh, it gets served through that font face and whatever that's browser right. in there. Yeah, That's right. Uh, other web font alternatives are uh, we have a list on Typekit. Typekit has lists. So if you go up to the main nav, one of our lists is alternatives to Georgia. Um, nice. Yeah, yeah, it's pretty cool. Um, and one of those alternatives that I really like um, is Kepler. It's a family from uh, Adobe's the first own one on the group. list here. Is it cool? Um, Kepler. The reason that it caught my attention a while back is because it's kind of a high contrast face, but it's a humongous family. It's got all kinds of like uh, condensed, extended variations, tons of of weights. So you have a, a lot of flexibility in terms of finding something that fits the design you're trying to work on. Really looks good. Really looks good. So isn't it, it's kind of true that George is kind of, uh, uh, I don't know, it's fairly well-beloved, isn't it? I well, mean, I know, it was really to, important to, to web designers for a long time because it was one of the only fonts that we could rely on and it looked really good. Yeah, yeah, it was kind of like beyond the fact that it's a, a, a default font. It's it's also like it was like designed for the digital age kind of thing. Which which I don't I don't know that much about this stuff, but like Helvetica kind of wasn't right. Well, that's sort of what makes Georgia uh, a hard choice to make nowadays because Matthew Carter designed Verdana and Georgia to work well in low resolution environments back you know, uh, like fifteen years ago or something. Uh, or more, more than that. And so when you see those kinds of fonts that were made for coarse resolution environments, small sizes, 
when you see them at the kinds of sizes we use for text today, they look kind of big and oddly proportioned. So, I mean, like, that's why yeah. a lot of web fonts look okay today. Interesting. So Kepler, that's a good one. And we'll put the link to this alternatives to Georgia in there too. Lots of, lots of ones that are, you know, that are interesting that like, you know, you look at it and you're like, that doesn't look quite like Georgia, but it's not, it's not about looking like it. It's about sharing characteristics, right? It's about. Yeah. The lists are kind of editorialized right now, but another thing you can do is our support folks are really helpful. Just mention Typekit on Twitter or write to support Mm -hmm. at Typekit and we'll help you find alternatives. Oh, that's a that's a fun that's fun. It's, it's awesome. like Twitter I mean, that, that a Twitter account where you do support that isn't like your stuff is broken. It's more like help me do type better. Yep, <laughs> yep. And it doesn't huh. have to be on Typekit either. I mean, we'll help you out. Yeah. Whatever you know, because fonts are available all over the place nowadays, uh-huh. and it's you know if you can only get something from some foundry who doesn't offer their stuff through services, we're not going to not point you to that thing. We'll be helpful. You know what I mean? Yeah, yeah, that's fantastic. So uh, we'll leave it at that. Mike Bowman writes in, if, if, if you had to build and support a site, uh, this works at the East Asian stuff, that, uh, that had to support to 90-plus languages, like that's insane, but yeah, okay. Uh, how would you go about figuring out what font stacks you would need for each language? And then uh, I, assume, I think Mike assumes that that's step one in this, but after you figured that out, uh, how would you implement it? So I don't know that we need to explain an entire implementation strategy, but I wonder what the like the general vibe is for for a, a multi multilingual site uh, and 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 fonts at all, let alone custom fonts. Yeah, well, so there's. I mean, I mentioned that website code style that told you what was where. Um, I could be wrong about this, but if your font that you're you know trying to suggest to uh, a browser does not have the glyphs that you need, it will intelligently fall back to some other fonts that have the glyphs that you're asking for. This sort of reminds me of this weird thing I learned last week. I was taking a workshop uh, at the TDC in New York. It was about typesetting Chinese for people who who don't speak or read Chinese, which I thought was awesome. And one of the things I learned there, even though I was already an Adobe employee, is that there's a different version of InDesign specifically for CJK typesetting. And one of the features that it has is this palette where you can Frankenstein together a bunch of fonts to get the language support you need. So, But that's for print stuff, and it doesn't totally apply here. What I would do if I was working on a site that needed a ton of language support is I would look at Source Han Sans. This is a typeface that was put together a collaborative effort by Adobe and Google. Uh, it has 65,000 glyphs. It's <laughs> the, the most that can exist in OpenType. Um, and with dynamic serving on Typekit, you can really get that in a lot of places efficiently. Uh, if you're curious about what it looks like, you can just Google Source on Sans. But also, if you're familiar with Source Sans Pro, that's the Latin characters in Source on Sans are from Source Sans Pro. It's a humongous, nice. humongous effort but I think it'd be good for multilingual typesetting. Yeah. Uh, I don't know about the fallback. Source Sans. I'm using Source Sans on CSS tricks. So if you're familiar with that, that's what it looks like. I'm using Source Sans too, guys. Oh my God, (laughs) so good. (laughs) The new Open Sans. Paul Paul Hunt is the designer on that. Nice. It's awesome. So, but just to drive it home, uh, there are the the the, font, the default fonts that generally come on machines do support those languages kind of already. This is an alternative if you want something stylistic and more unique looking, right? So even if you were to load a custom font and that custom font had a bunch of characters, but not of course ninety plus languages of the unique characters that you need, if it came across a character that it didn't have on the web, it doesn't just do the like square box thing. It doesn't just fail. It falls back for that glyph even independently. Uh, a, a font that does have that glyph available. That's generally how it works, right? So you don't actually need to load any custom fonts necessarily because the default ones, hopefully you're, the, the computer that's available has some kind of font that has that glyph in it somewhere and it will work. That's my understanding, yeah. Might look weird. <laughs> <laughs> it will work. It's tough. 
I, I remember, so Microsoft rolled out to like 110 locales and, and that was the most difficult piece of the puzzle was trying to figure out which locale got what font and what was its fallback. Cause you know, some, you know, computers in China have different font stacks than computers in America. So it's a little difficult, but, um, it, it was, uh, I think we just kind of either we went off the like HTML lang attribute, but I don't think we did that. I think it was more like server side detection of the language and then inject the right font for that language, if that makes sense. So Mm -hmm. if you're like in Thailand, serve the Thai font. And if you're in, uh, like America, you know, us America, you could serve just the Latin base Latin, basic Latin. And then if you're in like Norway, you use the squiggly Latin. I'll call it. <laughs> What's it called? <laughs> What's the official term? Is it squiggly Latin? Yeah. It's oh Latin with all the doodads. Yeah. <laughs> so like the, uh, the little hat and the umlaut. And- yeah. The hat, this swoopy uppy, the, the, <laughs> oh. the C with the, uh, with mm. the tingle bear. Oh man, Dave, we are making a glossary. I will get in touch with you after the show. Fix it in post. Yeah. Uh, yeah. What's the C with the tingle bear? The Kakura Chow or something? Yeah. Curacao. Curacao. Gosh dang it. Uh, gosh, that's hard to say. Okay. Okay. Uh huh. Uh, speaking of speaking of a web app that probably had to deal with with unusual characters being saved to its database because there's lots of user generated content into it. Our next sponsor, Harvest. Um, yeah, just a perfect segue. Yeah, I don't know. I've dealt with that as a web app person. You know, you have to make sure your database is ready for these characters because some of my SQL stuff is weird. You know, people are always trying to save uh, uh, emojis in in CodePen and our database isn't ready for it yet. We have a plan. In fact, it might even be fixed next week. No promises, but it's it's been on our list forever. But if you save an emoji right now, it just it errors because MySQL can't deal with it. Ugh, it's weird. Not that all MySQL can't deal with it. It's just it has to be ready to deal with it. Anyway, you know, I'm sure that Harvest has dealt with these kind of problems. Anyway, what Harvest is, and the URL for them is getharvest.com. It's time, it's a time tracking app. And it's not, it's like even weird to say app because it's like, it's, it's like a time tracking service. Like they have tons of different apps. They have apps for iOS and Android and Windows Phone and, uh, 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 lots of it. In fact, in fact, recently, uh, let's see. They 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 added more abilities for those apps. So not only could you can you track time and expenses and stuff like you've always been able to do, but now you can deal with your invoices and stuff from there too. So now they're kind of full featured apps that can do everything that the other apps can do. And that's kind of nice to bring some mostly feature parity to all the all of the the places that you can do Harvest. So like the heart and soul of it is time tracking, right? You have certain projects you set up and, and tasks on those things and teams. It's built for teams. All your team members log in and do it too. And they say, I'm on this project at this time. And then you have the ability to kind of know how your team is spending time. You have the ability to invoice the people for the time your employees spend on them. Uh, yeah, pretty nice. And then you can take money right through it as well. Pretty cool. Uh, you know, I, I like that it can happen on the road. It happens on your computer. It happens kind of anywhere, which is pretty fantastic. You can see the reports, see how your company's doing. The, the, because there's incoming money going out there, your outgoing money is there too. You can track expenses through Harvest. It's a pretty fancy app to, to keep your whole team, uh, the business side of your team, spinning along. Check out getharvest.com. And thanks so much for your sponsorship of Shop Talk Show. Let's do another question, Dave. All right, Austin Peterson writes in, I am having some frustrations with fonts. Arg! <laughs> it seems <laughs> like uh, every time I load up a Google font, it doesn't look crisp. I don't know where else to go for web fonts. And for some reason, the idea of paying for fonts every month doesn't sit well with me. And I don't want to try a service without knowing if it's good or not. Uh, how would you recommend going about finding, selecting, and buying fonts for the web? <laughs> I guess this is a little softball for you, yeah. Tim. <laughs> Pitch. Yeah. No, no, it's it's uh, it's good. So first of all, uh, whether the the way that you're unhappy with the rendering of the type totally depends on what system you're using to look at the type with, and sort of on the font itself and how that's been prepared. I wrote back in 2010 a a six-part series of, actually, it's six or seven parts, um, 
uh, on type rendering on the web. And the technology hasn't changed a whole lot since then. This stuff moves kind of slowly. So that's still worth a read. Uh, it's on the Typekit blog, uh, type rendering on the web. And uh, one post there was guest authored by Tim Ahrens, who's a type designer we've worked with for years and years. Um, this is the technical stuff, right? Like on Windows, yeah. there's a thing called hinting, and hinting is weird. But on Macs, we don't have it, but it's still important. And Yes, stuff. yes. Yeah. And I think the big thing to, to communicate there is that hinting is not everything. There are other layers in the process that affect how a font renders. Mm-hmm. So check that stuff out. Uh, in terms of uh, paying for type, right, uh, I wrote uh, an article recently for Mike Montero's new thing, Dear Design Student, um, about paying for type and why you should do that. Um, fonts are worth paying for. We started Typekit, uh, and I remember Type Foundries criticized us for pricing the subscription service so low. But we were thinking about people like Austin is the uh, right who's criticizing thing, right? you for for, so, for for criticizing it too high. So there's a there's a it's, well, balance. People, people aren't used to spending money on fonts and don't understand why they should. And that's totally valid. And so what we're trying to do is make Typekit so affordable that you try it out and see what you're missing. Like, go and see. There are free trial things about Typekit, and there are free trial things about most paid type subscription or or type uh, web services. Mm-hmm. So, so the answer to Austin is those free trials on all this stuff. Go try it out. That's yeah, right. Go try it out. Go try it out. See if it's worth it. And the fact that, yeah, right, it's a, it's, isn't it there's some expectations at work here? Like for, for whatever reason, you know, p- people kind of expect to, you might expect to pay for like a sound clip that you're going to use in a video or like some stock video or even stock photography. There's like an expectation on the web that's, oh, of course you pay for that stuff. It's a, uh, it's copyrighted, whatever. Like there's like some, it just is up in people's minds correctly, but for some reason it hasn't quite gotten there with fonts. Yeah, it's probably changing. In fact, it's probably already largely changed, uh, but it's but it's maybe a little, a little bit behind people's mental expectations of what you pay for on the web. And it's all shifting, too. You exactly. get the subscriptions on type. Like, you know, that, not, then there, there was Grooveshark and RDO and Spotify and now Apple Music and stuff. So the expectations of how people listen to music online is changing, too. Now you just expect that you have a subscription. You can listen to anything you want. But that, took, that wasn't always the expectation. The expectation has changed over time. Hopefully we can you can influence the expectation that you pay for fonts and and you get quality from it and service. I empathize with like Austin's feelings because that that's how it was for me too. Like starting out, I was when Typekit launched, what, what like two thousand nine or something. Mm-hmm. I was like, this is dumb. Rent a fonts, lol. Let me blog about how dumb this is. That's like the level <laughs> of like I was. I was just like, how stupid is this? You know, this is something I can do myself. Blah. But then, like, I I went to a Typekit party at South by Southwest here in Austin, and conveniently, and um, I, I was talking to people, and they're like, oh yes. Like figuring out what font goes to what system is super hard. We solve that problem for you. Oh yes. Like, like typographers are used to getting paid for their fonts and, and they actually spend like three, five years building out one typeface and they work really hard on it and then you steal it. And then, and I was like, Oh, that would be a bummer if I did that, uh, if that happened to me. And so I started like seeing the value of like paying the, uh, I'll call them artists, but paying the, the typesetters, uh, you know, in, in kind of giving back and building up that community. So you get more great type as well. Uh, and then it, it just, I for whatever reason, type kit seemed like a really good, uh, like way to get things, you know, quality fonts. And then you guys actually go through and, and do like auto hinting sort of stuff like, and manual hinting on fonts that haven't been set for the web. Right. There's like, there's this whole element that you all do at Typekit that, that I don't think I even knew. Cause we, I think Paravel was dealing with like, we bought one font and installed it, font squirreled it and put it up and it looked like garbage. But when we <laughs> looked at the Typekit version, it was like, that is immaculate and beautiful. And we were just like, I think I reached out to you, Tim. I was like, Hey, have, did you guys auto hit this? And I think you were like, yeah, we totally did. And, uh, and it was like, ah, oh, cause that one's so bad, much better than the one we're trying to work with. So, uh, it's such a, 
cool. Uh, it's neat. I don't know. I forget what font. I wish I could tell that story better, <laughs> but um, there's so much that like a font service does for you. I like Hoffler type. They obviously do like what I'm trying to think of a nice way to put this <laughs> maximum anal retentiveness, <laughs> like anal retention towards uh, it, uh, like, making sure their fonts are flawless on the web. And, and that's, it's such a interesting, uh, it, it's amazing, I guess is what I want to say. So it's a lot of work. Uh, our, our font processing part of what we do, uh, is huge. Uh, we have an engineer dedicated only to that. Um, and you know, he gets help from other folks on our team, but you know, we, we normalize vertical metrics on fonts that come in so that you get consistent spacing. And we used to do a lot more uh, hinting. The hinting that you're talking about, Dave, is manual true type hinting, where someone sits down and looks at every glyph at every size and figures out how the vector outlines of glyphs map to bitmap grids. Wow. It's arduous labor. And because of direct write being better supported nowadays, true type hinting is less important than it used to be. So that manual stuff is happening less and less. We're working with foundry partners who just are deciding not to spend time on those things because it costs a lot of money and takes a lot of time. And it also bumps up the file size. Manually hinted true type fonts weigh more. And if CFF open type fonts are available and they render pretty much just as well, in direct write systems and on Macs, uh, you know, why wouldn't you go for the lower file size thing that that looks smooth at large sizes and looks decent at, at text sizes? So that stuff is all shifting, like you said, uh, Chris. Can you kind of explain the like whole direct write, you know, clear type? Sure. Sort of stuff because it's all always confusing to me and how so, that plays in. Yeah, yeah. Um, so DirectWrite is a rendering engine on newer Windows operating systems. And GDI is an older rendering engine from older Windows operating systems. And ClearType is a way of anti-aliasing type that exists in both of those rendering engines. So uh, if you're looking at something on GDI, let's say, an older Windows machine, i.e. 6 or 7, you're going to see some options for anti-aliasing type, which is to use clear type, to use standard anti-aliasing, grayscale, or no anti-aliasing, which is just like black and white pixels on and off and a lot of stair-steppy stuff. Clear type was amazing when it was released because it's sub-pixel anti-aliasing. It's an algorithm for sub-pixel anti-aliasing. So you get uh, technically a higher resolution for the what you're looking at for the pixels that you have. Um, people complained about it causing color fringing because when you target individual uh, colors in an LCD pixel, you might make the blue glow more than the red and stuff like that. So there was some complaining mm. about that. But, you know, we've moved to higher resolution screens now. Direct right has subpixel anti-aliasing that has less of that color fringing stuff going on. Um, it's just... You know, type rendering nowadays is there's much less to worry about. Um, it, those articles that, that I mentioned before should clear some of that stuff up. But what were you going to say, Dave? Oh, I guess is is like retina screens. Is that maybe the biggest advancement in type to date? Is that kind of helping everything smooth? It's been huge. Yeah. yeah. But it's it's a factor like I talked about Verdana. It's funny and that it makes it better than worse, you know, because it's kind of like the worst thing that ever happened to raster images and the best thing that happened <laughs> to vector thing. Yeah. That's fair. Yeah. Wow. Yeah. Uh, that's wow. That, that was profound, Chris. I think that's a CSS trick post. Free blog post. Uh, free blog post. Um, no, that's, yeah, that's cool. I guess. So what was the deal like Chrome? for Mac or something was like kind of rendered things bold or whatever. And then Chrome for windows rendered things awful and couldn't do light fonts. Like is from the complaints and stuff that you're hearing, is that kind of a solved problem now as we're kind of. So all type looks thicker on a Mac. That's just how Mac's rendering engine 
uh, renders type. Cortex just renders things more thickly. Uh, you can deal with that by using a JavaScript thing that I worked on with Bromstein. It's called Type Rendering Mix. It's at typerendering.com. Uh, it will let you detect the rendering engine and anti-aliasing settings that are being used by the visitor to your site and serve some, you know, change your styles as a result. Use a lighter weight of the typeface in some Interesting. situations. Yeah, so it's, it's a way cool. to, you like do more fancy detection than like UA string Windows yeah. Mac. It's fancier yeah. than that. Yeah. Um, but so aside from that, like uh, the only issue, Dave, that has been coming up recently with regard to rendering is people have to support really old systems like old IT departments and uh, and that's just the regular old rendering issues that we had a few years ago for everybody mm-hmm. and um, browsers not getting with the current technology it took uh, a while for Chrome on Windows to start using DirectWrite but once they did people stopped complaining Okay, so like if there's a enterprise company using Chrome 16 out there or or some Android phone with Chrome 16 or something, that's where kind of the type problems occur. Yep. Lots of them. Okay. That's that helps me in my work in my journey. <laughs> sorry, <laughs> sorry for hijacking the show. No, no. <laughs> uh, that's great. Okay. Well, cool. Well, we should get, let's get to other people's questions because I could probably monopolize all your time. Tim, here we got one from Chip Colin writes in, I have a small web typography tool called font-combinator.com. I haven't seen this, uh, where I list all of the fonts in the Google fonts API. I have a drop down menu, each, uh, font listed by name set in that typeface. So the requirement is to have a drop down mm-hmm. where individual options can be styled. Uh, you cannot style native option elements with the select. So I'm currently using a jQuery library called chosen. Uh, yeah. Speaking of cool. harvest, they made that. Oh yeah. Harvesthq.github.io. Hey, open source and things uh, to style a dropdown. It works by hijacking the select with a bunch of divs. Uh, in my next rev, this tool, I'm looking to ditch jQuery altogether, but I'm stumped about what to do with dropdowns. My question, uh, are you away, uh, aware of a way to style option elements? Are you aware of any mm. vanilla JS methods to hijack a select menu? <laughs> um, or... Do you have any thoughts on this approach, uh, a different way? I'm concerned about accessibility. I think it's just the WebKit Chromey stuff that you can't. I think Firefox actually does let you style the, the option element if you want to. Or at least you can apply background colors and colors and stuff to it. I'm not sure if it'll take a font or not, though. But the idea is if you fake a select with divs and spans and stuff, then you can put anything you want in there. And I think that in the and because your library, your little tool thingy is is the whole point of it is to click something and get a menu of different fonts available to you, and it looks like the font that you're choosing, which is like kind of like an Adobe thing or like pretty much all software these days, right? You like if you open the font thing, it shows you not just the name of the font, but what the font looks like too. Uh, that's a. I would think that's pretty hardcore to do on the web, right? Because you need to load a ton of fonts to make that work. So maybe you could make them images instead and sprite them. Maybe that would be like more efficient to do than loading trying to load like a hundred web fonts, which seems like kind of insane. Or maybe the subsetting thing would help, right? Because like like t- Tim was saying that they that, that like that's coming to TypeKit, but you can already do it now with a cool trick. <laughs> but I know Google Fonts supports it too. As a part of the query string of the font that you request, you can say like, I just want the letters F O X something jumping, <laughs> and it will just give you a version of that font that only has those letters in it, which is a lot smaller, which would maybe be efficient there. Anyway, other thoughts. You know, I don't know. I, I'm trying, what I'm thinking of is I, I know like people like Paul Irish and maybe like Alex Russell and, and people like that over at Google have kind of talked about like this component chosen, which is like a, a select box, but then it's also searchable. So it's like a data list kind of thing, but, but then it's like also stylable. Um, they've, I think, I think people in that they're group, angling for it to be a native, a web. native component. Yeah. yeah. And so I don't know. So cool, yeah. yeah. And I don't know like what the implications are, like, you know, when you're talking, uh, geez, like, like iOS, what's it do on a phone? Um, but um, I, I'm 
I would love to kick that conversation up again. I wonder, I wonder how we do that or, or who we could talk to, but, or if we could just maybe figure out where it fell and died, um, that would be helpful too. So, um, that, which may or may not address the ability to apply custom fonts though, to, you know, like, I don't know. I could see it being built and still not allowed that particular amount of styling. Mm hmm. That's sort of the question I had about this. If you look at the lesson that I wrote for practice called Selecting Typefaces for Body Text, all the examples in that lesson have a menu that lets you switch the font that the visuals are using. And I made that menu, I just designed it out of divs and stuff. Oh, yeah. And, and so I have started to think, hearing this question, you know, maybe that's not as accessible as I could have made it. I mean, I think a lot about accessibility on practice. You turn off JavaScript, you can still kind of read the lesson and get the idea, even without some of the visuals and, and being able to see the fonts. But, you know, how does somebody interact with that menu I made with their keyboard? I don't know. I, that's a shortcoming of the site right now, I think. Yeah, that's a kind of a big plus for using the native component tree like a select menu is because you kind of get all the accessibility stuff for free. Not that there's nothing to think about because surely there is, but like how people interact with it once they're in there yeah. is like it works and it's consistent with other websites that use the default one and stuff. I'm sure, yeah. I don't know, I don't know. Like for example, when you activate your little menu, does it does it deal with moving focus to the first thing in that menu or the thing that's currently selected? You know, you would have to write that yourself. That's right. Is there some kind of indication that one of them is active and one isn't active? I don't know. You know, is there aria selected? I don't even know. Is that a thing? I just made that up. Please don't Google it. <laughs> aria shot in the dark. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Are you, uh, thing we're rough there maybe we'll do one more but i have a few shout outs i want to do and then we'll we'll finish out with a question does that work we have some friends of the show uh, or people that have been on the show before karen mcgrain uh, uh is a you know content strategist person listen to her episode it's friggin brilliant and uh, uh we've had a number of people from sparkbox on before like ben callahan and katie kavalson works at sparkbox and everybody involved in this is just kind of a friend of the show so i thought we'd give them a shout out there's a url called build right build right.io uh it's part of sparkbox it's the a, a, a series part of the maker series that they do it, it's a literally in-person event happens in dayton ohio i've been to the space it's amazing it's a beautiful space if you're anywhere near there or are pining for a trip or have family there or 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 just want to come to Dayton, uh, there's a, uh, you might as well do it. Karen is doing a workshop on August 27th. Oh, it's the day after my birthday. I'm thinking about going down to this thing because I just like hanging out with the Sparkbox and Karen, of course. So uh, they're just, they're having it. I'll throw a link in the show notes. I thought we'd give them a shout out for, for their thing. They're trying to make it happen with this Maker series and it's really cool. And uh, they do a great job with those. And... Um, if you are looking for a job, you know that the Shop Talk Show has a job board. It's literally Shop Talk Show slash jobs. It's all uh, powered by the CodePen job board, which is the CSS Tricks job board. It's just, you know, it's the job board for all of the web properties that, that I'm kind of involved with. Um, check out the job board there. There's one job that we particularly want to talk to you about. It's a freelance remote opportunity. So I think that appeals to the listeners of this audience. We're kind of into the, the remote thing. And it's just a front-end development job. So if you're a front-end developer, already have a job or are looking for a job or already have a job and you're looking to like have a little bit more freedom with where you go and what you do, check out the job at, at Spider Strategies. Uh, it's pretty cool. They, uh, uh, they're building a new app. And, you know, it doesn't say much about the app here, so kind of secret, which is pretty sweet. But they have another app that you can look at called Dash, which is super cool. It builds dashboards, but like super beautiful dashboards that you can use. They're a team of nine already, so they're already kind of like doing well. And, you know, you'll get a new Slack channel. That'll be fun, right? <laughs> Uh, anyway, but it's beautiful. It's like, it's like, you know, they list, they list the stuff that they're using. It's like D3, SVG, Backbone. You're like, intriguing. Tell me more. Anyway, apply to the, we'll put a link to the show notes to this particular job in there. But, uh, the, 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 the overall company there is called Spider Strategies. So, uh, pretty good opportunity there. Let's finish off with, with, with one more question if we have time. Yeah. Yeah, Let's see here. Um, I, uh, don't have my audio thing up, so let's uh, let's do this uh, one from Andrew Johnson. 
I remember when I first started learning web design, I took a class at a local community college. My professor said something uh, that I found odd. We are talking about the link tag, uh, including external style sheets. He mentioned that the text CSS property that was apparently uh, W3C foresaw style sheets weren't created as text. Uh, I can't imagine uh, any other way. I haven't been able to find out anything else about this. I was wondering if you guys might know what this is all about. My professor's <laughs> uh, been misinformed, but why include the type uh, if there's only one value, I don't know possible. if there is only one possible value. Doesn't Link do some other stuff? Isn't Link how HTML imports are going to be working? Uh, yeah, Link uh, rel icon ring. Yeah, that's link. just a different rel then. Oh yeah, yeah. There's different links, but but the would... what the type attribute is is isn't is specific for the 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 for literally the file type. You know, like like JavaScript is text JavaScript, and like WAF is like <laughs> something slash waf i forget i forget what the first thing is font slash waf or something those are file types like literally right like and I, I types yeah i'm not i'm not sure if the w3c oversees that or not you Do don't need them in html5 though so don't use it don't worry about it let it figure it out so do you not need it you need rel style sheet but you don't know uh, i was just going to say what dave said agree with him because I haven't used those things since I saw Jeremy Keith say, you don't need to use them. (laughs) (laughs) Nice. Because you used to need to be like very explicit, like script type equals text slash JavaScript, you know. Or it wouldn't work, yeah. But now it's just like, whatever, roll fast, homie. I always literally remove them when I see them from from both oh, from yeah? both inline scripts and and just just cuz I think it looks cleaner and whatever. Kind of like you tucked your shirt in your underwear. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> you need to, you know, occasionally mime types come up, you know, occasionally like your server will serve the wrong mime type for SVG or something and it yeah. won't display properly. So you need to you need to think about them, but I'm kind of I, I actually don't know if <laughs> uh that's a funny quote in the chat room. Uh, is uh <laughs> Uh, if the W3C presides over MIME types or not, I don't. I don't know the answer to that. Probably not. It's probably some kind of like handshake between the people that deal with that format because there's more formats than they preside over. You know, mm. like like there's there's fi- there's MIME types for SAS. You know, they don't care about that, but it's like has one. Mm. Well, <laughs> you know? yeah. Yeah, uh, I don't. I don't think you need it, so I would not worry about it. Um, but I think historically, you had to be explicit. That's what I was going to say. But hey, let's end on a softball from Peter Dillon. If you got time, uh, Tim. But yeah, uh, I figured this 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 should be a softball. Um, let's see. I'm loading it from Record MP3, which has been down and. Hello, Chris and Dave. My name is Peter Dillon, and I want to use Typecast. But you need one of the following font accounts. Font Deck, Google Web Fonts, Fonts.com, Typekit, and WebType. Which one of these are your favorite? Thank you. Okay, Tim, we'll let you go first. (laughs) Oh, man, that's not fair. (laughs) Uh, So a couple of things. Uh, Typecast is free, I think. So I don't think you need to use any of those services to have to just go and start using typecast. Um, as far as which is my favorite service, I appreciate all of these services. This, this variety that we have encourages competition and it, uh, establishes different ways of type designers getting paid for type and different ways for users to pay. Um, font deck was started by two guys who really get the web, Richard Rudder and, and John Tan. I learned from those guys before I started doing anything in public. Um, Google Web Fonts is super technically savvy. Uh, fonts.com, uh, fonts.com has always confused me a little, but um, Monotype uh, also owns Typecast. So I'm sure there are, uh, there's some synergy there. And I have some friends who work over there, really smart folks, Nathan Ford, uh, Dan Radigan, Jamie Neely, Paul McKeever, David Hughes, um, you know, Typekit. We try to do a good job, make it affordable, and do the right thing for the industry, and we're technically solid. Uh, web type is really interesting because it's a collective of type designers and type foundries. Uh, it's led by the Font Bureau, 
and they have largely kept their typefaces out of other services because of financial model beliefs. And that's awesome. Like business has completely changed for type designers over the last few years. So it's cool to see people experiment. And over time, I think we'll get a situation that's a lot like what we have right now for desktop fonts, where if you want a typeface, you can get it and you can use it with whatever tools and services you prefer. That's what I'd like to see as a somebody who uses type. So, you know, I, I like all those services. They all... They're all valuable in, in different ways and collectively. Mm-hmm. Wonderful. Great. I mean, I, I, that's some valuable advice. Uh, I was going to say, I, I usually, I cruise, I, I'm not ashamed to admit, I'll cruise Google web fonts, see if there's a freebie, but then uh, <laughs> that I like or something. And then, but if not, I like, I go to type kit. That's my kind of, I'm like type kit. Thanks man. Yep. Oh, all right. Well, we should uh, wrap this up. Uh, thanks, Tim, so much for coming onto the show. We really appreciate it. If people are not following you and giving you money, how can they do that? And then what's one thing you'd like to plug here before you leave? Okay, I'm going to break the rules a little bit. I have five Uh-oh. things to say. First of all, all right. congratulations, Dave. I don't think you said blah, blah, blah the entire episode. Whoa! <laughs> Excellent! <laughs> Breaking. Probably because I was talking the most. Uh, <laughs> on Twitter, I am NiceWebType. Uh, visit practice.typekit.com and stay sharp. Uh, check out universaltypography.com. That's my latest thing, and you can see me speak. And uh, one last thing. Listeners, uh, share what you learn. Don't be afraid. It's amazing what sharing ideas can do for you in this industry and at this point in time. Experiment on CodePen, write a blog post, join this community because we need you. And it's how I got where I am. Awesome. Well, thank you very much. And and yet, uh, I personal note, check out Universal Typography. You demoed this at an event apart, and it is the hotness, this demo uh, for picking font sizes and letting and all that. And I love it. And then you also have like plugins. And, and go, so go check out uh, uh the the open source projects that tim's done uh and thanks everyone for listening be sure to rate this up five stars in your podcatcher of choice that's how people find out about the show tweet us at shop talk show on the tweetars and uh if you hate your job go get a job a new job at shoptalkshow.com slash jobs uh where you can achieve your personal happiness uh and chris you got anything else here for shoptalkshow.com 